It's great to be with you this morning. For those of you that don't know, I'm Odell and I am on the staff team here. Yes, I'm also married to Andy. Um, but it's great to have you with us, particularly if this is your first time. Um, I can see some new faces, which is great. It's great to have you with us. We have, for the last few weeks, been in um, a series called Living in the Story. And we were focusing on the origin stories. But from today, we are going to start looking at what is known as the heart stories. And we're going to be doing that together for the next few weeks. We're going to be unpacking some of the Old Testament kings, good kings, leaders, questionable leaders, and all right leaders. Or how Naomi summed this up in the staff meeting the other day. Thumbs up leaders, thumbs down leaders, and ones that are a bit like this. So you can just think emoji signs as we go through. Essentially, how did these leaders posture themselves towards God? What were the motivations in their hearts? And today we're going to be looking at King Saul, who, um, if you haven't heard of him before, he could probably be described as, spoiler alert for you, a thumbs down leader in many ways. But there's so much for us to learn from him, to learn from his story, and together see how his story links to our stories and the place that we find ourselves today as being a part of God's bigger story. So I'd love to pray for us together today. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, as we think and look and unpack things around King Saul, would you speak to us, Holy Spirit, Would you take the words that I've prepared, get rid of the ones that you don't want, use the ones that are helpful for us to grow in our understanding of your bigger story and the role we have to play within it. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, for us to be able to understand this story, we actually need to go on a little whistle-stop tour of where and how he lands in the book of 1 Samuel. And we're going to be dipping in and out of that book in the Bible together today. So here we go. Little fun fact to begin with. First and second Samuel were actually written as one coherent story originally. But due to scroll length, they ended up being separated. But it's helpful for us to keep that in mind as we go through these heart stories over the next few weeks. We're in the first part of this story. And to set the scene, it's after Israel was rescued from slavery in Egypt. They've eventually made a covenant with God and entered the promised land. And they were supposed to stay faithful to God and obey the covenant commands. But what we have heard, or if you've ever spent any time in the book of Judges, you will know, is that that is not really what ended up happening. That book shows us how the Israelites failed at obeying the commands. The political landscape is very different. The time of Judges brought about great apostasy 
in Israel, political and religious turmoil. And so what we start to see through this book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel is that we start to eventually see some wise, faithful leaders, albeit not all of them. And the main characters that come just before Saul in this book are Hannah and Samuel. And we're going to be spending some time hearing from Samuel's words together today. And then we'll be thinking about David in a couple of weeks' time. But it's important for us to recognize that and know that because actually the theme that comes out from the first part of this book through Hannah's story and Hannah's song, which we don't have time to go into today, is a theme that litters through this whole story that we're thinking about today, about the fact that God opposes the proud and exalts the humble. Despite human evil, God is at work and God will raise up a messianic king. That's the theme that's there. And that's important for us. And this phrase, oppose the proud and exalt the humble, we hear several times in both the Old and the New Testament. Psalms, Luke, James, these words come from Jesus' mouth himself. So we need to think about them recognize them, understand what's meant through them. And if this theme of pride litters through, and that's what we're thinking about today, then we have to understand what is that actually referring to? Because there's nothing wrong with us being proud of an achievement or being a parent that's full of pride for something that your child has done, for example. But what we're focusing on, pride of heart, And the word proud that comes from the um, Hebrew is gava, comes from the root word for locust as referencing to the swarming of locusts that devour crops and land and food sources. And that's the kind of pride that we're thinking about as we unpack this story of Saul. What's also important for you to know in the book of 1 Samuel is many events take place in this whole book. Over long periods of time, there's historical moments, significant political time. And as Walter Brueggemann says, there's three major areas of interest in this book. People, politics and preaching. I find it quite interesting that those are things that actually are still relevant to us today. But you can tell me your thoughts on the preach afterwards. So just before this speech that we're going to look at some of the verses off together, we need to know that what happened in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel is how Samuel the prophet leads the Israelites to victory. And he says to them, if you're really serious, if you're really serious about wanting to return to God, then you've got to get rid of your foreign gods. And they do. And progress is made. But then what starts to happen at the start of chapter 8 is we see how they start to ask and request for a king because all the other nations have one. I mean, it's slightly childlike to some extent. I don't know if anybody else is having this scenario at the moment. Our eldest turns 10 in January. Mum, all I want and need is a phone. Everybody has one. No, they don't. But that's the kind of tone that's in this. The people see Samuel as a bit old now. 
They've decided that the elders that were elected, they're not really good enough. And they want a king, just like all the other nations. And Samuel is not happy about this. But what he does is he faithfully takes their request to God. And even though their motives are all wrong, what's really interesting is that God does say yes to their request. And so this is where we pick up this story. Saul has been appointed as king, the first king of Israel. He's starting to take control, and in reality, it actually starts off not too bad. He's a modest king with a humble approach. He's proud of the rank that he has achieved. But Samuel is not, and he does not shy away from saying so. So if you've got a Bible with you, or it will come up on the screen, we're going to look at chapter 12, starting at verse 12, in this speech that Samuel gives and delivers. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands, and if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. You see, this is not just a speech that's there. This is a speech that marks the appointment of King Saul, marks the major and radical transition in Israel's life from leadership of men and women whose primary orientation was towards God to leadership of kings who we discover motivation and orientation is towards themselves and people. Samuel is not happy. It's fair to say that the tone in this speech is one of both kind of warning and wanting to help them, but also, uh, I think you've maybe made a bit of a bad choice. It's almost like he's saying, here is the king you wanted, that you think you need, but you're going to find out he isn't the king that you think you need. You've had him, you still have him, and you need to keep your eyes fixed on God, the king above all kings. And I don't know about you, I can sometimes have that kind of tone with my children, you know, that kind of, okay, you choose to do something which I don't think is the best choice, but you go straight ahead, you choose that way, and we'll soon see how that ends up maybe not being as great as you thought. You, you kind of get that, or maybe you're all just much nicer than me. What did Samuel see in Saul? Did he have insight into Saul's pride? It's fair to say we can all be proud in the positive sense. There's nothing wrong with that. But how quickly and subtly it can develop into the locust type. I know even for me, as I've been preparing for this over the last couple of weeks, God has been speaking to me, reminding me where pride has come into my heart. 
Saul's heart didn't start off motivated in that way. Started off motivated towards God, but it changed. And Samuel sees this and saw this and so wants to go towards the people of Israel and present them with a choice. He felt that they were being disobedient in wanting a king. And yet God gave them one anyway. Doesn't that comfort us? That even when we get things wrong, even though sometimes we disobey a word that maybe doesn't like to be used that much anymore. But I know I stand here as someone who gets it wrong, who goes my own way. But what we see in this is that a wrong turn, a slip up, a disobedience, whatever you want to call it, does not pull them out of God's plan. What Samuel is trying to address in this speech to the people is that they need to make a choice. They've got the king, but keep following God, the one true king. And he goes on in verse 15 that we just read to say that the consequences of not doing that could be huge. The language here is strong. He makes comments later on about the fact that his view is this era is the second best, that they've not made a great choice. And some commentaries would say that actually what the people did in asking for a king is to elect to live under human sovereignty rather than divine sovereignty. You know, this can maybe be a little bit lost on us today, and I'm not here to have a debate about the monarchy in any way, shape or form. But what we have to understand, and the reason that we're going into some of the detail of this, is that there's been a big shift for the people of how they're ruled. And Samuel is trying to warn them, to encourage them. He's spelling out to them that even though they've got the human king in Saul now, their divine king is still with them and they have to continue to love and serve and follow him. He's urging them not to get complacent and simply trust and follow King Saul. And he's expressing this to Saul himself as well. Why? Because who we follow, who we're influenced by, who our heart is motivated towards matters. So the first question that's going to come up on the screen for us to think on our own today is who are we following? Jesus demonstrates this, doesn't he? Right at the start of his ministry when he asks the disciples and he says, come follow me. That's been offered and asked and extended out to hundreds and thousands and millions of people since then. That's the offer and the reminder to us again today. Those of us that have been a Christian for a long time, those of us that would not yet maybe call ourselves that. Who are we following? Do we need to come back on track with that? Because you see, it's important for us to enter into this story of King Saul, because it's not only bringing God's word alive, which we do believe is spirit-breathed, it's inviting us to participate. As we feel the emotion, the drama, the tension, we're drawn in to discover our lives in the lives of these characters. 
I know for me, maybe you yourself could say, I can see myself at times being like Saul. I can see myself at times being like the Israelite people. I can see myself at times being like Samuel. You know, one of the characteristics of Hebrew storytellers is that they don't tell us everything. They deliberately leave blanks so that we as the reader are invited into the story. And to do this is so freeing because it reminds us we don't need to have every answer to every question to be a part of God's plan and a part of his story. Eugene Peterson says, and it'll come up on the screen, we do not have to fit into a prefabricated moral or mental or religious box before we are admitted into the company of God. We are taken seriously just as we are and given a place in God's story, for it is, after all, God's story. You know, sometimes that can seem countercultural right now, but that is the truth here. That is the truth. We're not the leading characters in our story. God is. And so following him, it's one of our core values as a church family, is because it's the best way. That's what we see in this story. Saul didn't do that. And yet, if we're honest, at times it can be hard, can't it? It's so easy to be influenced by our own agendas and others. I know I can do that. We can all end up having pride in our hearts, which means we prefer to follow our own agendas or others, possibly influenced by them more than God, especially if it's the easier option or it means we ourselves are elevated. If you're a parent here today, maybe this is a familiar scenario to you. You pick your child up from school and there's a behavior slip in their bag. Upon conversation with the said child about why they've ended up getting the behavior slip, it becomes very apparent that what they've ended up doing is following somebody else, being influenced by somebody else because that's what everybody else was doing. Or that was the easier option, mum. Am I speaking from experience? You can ask me later. But today, for us, as we sit here and we think about this for ourselves, who are we influenced by? Because it's not just a thing that happens when you're a child at school. It happens in the workplace. It happens in the spheres that we find ourselves in. Keeping up with people, being influenced with people. And what we see more and more in this book and this story is that Saul's heart and motivation becomes all about himself and others rather than God. And that ultimately leads to his failure. We see how Samuel's own heart is desperate to warn the people, to warn Saul. Because for this new era of kingship, to actually be positive, God still has to be above it all. We've been singing that today, reminded of that in the words that we've sung in some of those songs. And you see, what ends up happening in verse 16 to 19, which we're not going to read, is Samuel's frustration gets to boiling point. I found that quite encouraging, because maybe I'm not the only one that gets to boiling point at times. 
And he asks God to send a thunderstorm. Could be slightly odd behavior to some extent, but it comes from a desire for the people to see and know that God, the king, is bigger and better and more powerful than Saul. And so we are going to read from verse 20 together now, still in chapter 12. Once again, it will be up on the screen or follow along. Samuel replied, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Samuel is trying to say here that only the, king, the kingship only works if the king and the Israelites not only follow God, but also listen to him intently. Good things can come, but they have to listen. Otherwise, destruction could occur. And you see, the enemy loves it when we're distracted and when actually we're not listening to the voice of God. And Samuel isn't going to leave them because he loves them and he wants to help them and he wants them to stay focused despite their distraction of wanting and asking and now getting a king. And we see that more in those last two verses that we read. So the second question for us to ask ourselves today is who are we listening to? Who are we listening to? For just a moment, let's think about the story of the Titanic. I'm sure all of you know it, and if you didn't, you probably do since Kate Winslet and Leo made it famous in a film. But the reality is 1,514 people died when the luxury ship on its first voyage collided with an iceberg in the early hours of the 15th of April, 1914. There's many opinions, thoughts, and theories as to why this happened, but one thing that has been shared is that the Titanic did actually receive multiple warnings about ice fields in the North Atlantic. But according to a researcher, they went unheard. The senior radio operator failed to inform the captain about this specific warning. Who was he listening to in that moment? It wasn't the voices that he needed to. Why? Could it be related to his heart? I mean, what would you do if you were given a role on this epic voyage? If you were in that place, you know that this would have a real impact on your career. If you were able to say that you successfully were the radio operator, you know, that's going to have an impact. So you don't want to lose that. And so maybe what can end up happening is you don't sound the alarm because you don't want to redirect the path. You don't want people to challenge and bring resistance. You don't want this to lead to disastrous and catastrophic 
in its outcome, but what ends up happening. What motivates our hearts impacts the way we hear things. And what we're going to do together now is just look at a few verses from the next chapter. Chapter 13, starting at verse 8. Because we see how Saul's heart was motivated, who he was following and listening to, and ultimately how he then responded. Saul waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. That's never a great question to maybe hear. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling in Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you if you had he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Saul wasn't following or listening to God. Instead, he was motivated by his heart, his pride, his success, he takes matters into his own hands. Maybe he was listening to fear, his impatience, his anger at Samuel's delay. We don't know. We can think and ponder on this. But what we do see, and through the whole story, which we would encourage you to go away and read in your communities or on your own, what we do see is that his responses do have a damaging effect. His pride at achieving the role as king right at the start actually gave him an opportunity to surrender the kingship back to God. He then could have listened and responded to the warnings that came from Samuel, but instead his heart became arrogant. What's evident in these verses that I've just read is that Saul blames others. He doesn't take responsibility and once again could have come back and surrendered the kingship to God. He responds with ego. It often is a harder thing to do. It takes a stronger individual to say, I'm surrendering this all to you, particularly when we've maybe made some choices or decisions that are disobedient or not the best way to then say, I got this wrong is sometimes harder to do. And so you see who we are following, who we are listening to, and how we respond is crucial. And that's the final question for us to ask ourselves today. How are we responding? Following, listening, responding, they go hand in hand. But let's remember Let's remember together today, even though sometimes it feels hard and it can feel costly, 
What does it say in Luke 11 verse 28? Jesus says, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. We do live in the now and not yet of the fullness of the completion of the kingdom of God. And so we don't get to see everything in the way that maybe we would love to and desire to. But we can, we do get to know and choose to have a relationship with Jesus and accept what he did. That's what this story is reminding us of. And as I said, there is so much more that we could ponder on in this rich passage of scripture. And if in your communities or through Central Weekly, you haven't yet discovered the resource that we've put together, please do, because it's there to help you to see and ask questions of how do I, how do we fit into this story? What can we learn from these characters? What do we then do with that as missional disciples today? Because we do this together as church family on a journey together asking ourselves what's motivating my heart who am I following listening to and how am I responding Saul was a king with a lot of promise a lot of promise and yet he became dishonest he lacked integrity full of pride he failed to recognize when he made mistakes and got things wrong and instead of changing and responding, we've had a glimmer of what happens. But what's amazing in this story, and we've read these words together, is that God did not walk off or leave them. God promised to stay, and time and time again throughout the whole Bible, in all the stories that we get to unpack and we are unpacking together as a church family, that's what we see that God continues to go with us and before us. It all points towards Jesus and what he did in coming to the earth, living a life, dying on a cross, rising again, ascending to heaven, the ultimate king who we are to follow, listen to, and respond to accordingly. C.S. Lewis says, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So how do we respond today? Maybe today you actually realize that pride has started to creep into your heart. And if so, we want to encourage you to lay that down. Maybe you've started to become motivated by your own agenda, following others rather than Jesus. And if so, we want you to come back to him. That's what he wants you to do today. Maybe your heart has become hardened for whatever reason, and it's really understandable that that happens. But it's preventing you from being able to listen and hear the voice of God. And so we would love to pray with you for your heart to be softened again and to receive and hear from him better. If you're able, I'd love you to stand with me. The band are going to come up and I'm just going to read some words from a song from many years ago now. But this is so that we can respond individually and collectively as a church family. So I encourage you to just close your eyes. 
And if any of what I have said today has prompted you, you felt like Holy Spirit has been just bringing something to the surface, then I'd encourage you to outstretch your arms to respond to him today. Because ultimately, this is all about surrender. And as I read these words, you spend time with God in the place that you're standing. I'm giving you my heart and all that is within. I lay it all down for the sake of you, my King. I'm giving you my dreams, laying down my rights. I'm giving up my pride for the promise of new life. And I surrender all to you. I surrender all to you. And I'm singing you this song and I'm waiting at the cross. All the world holds dear. I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing you, for the glory of your name, to know the lasting joy, even sharing in your pain. And I surrender it all to you. Heavenly Father, that's what we want to do this morning. However, this um, passage of scripture, this story of Saul, these words from Samuel have resonated with our own hearts and minds and our own situations and our own walk and relationship with you. I pray and ask Holy Spirit for you to come and move amongst us as we respond to you, as we come back to you, maybe. As we say again, I want to follow you. I want to listen to you so that my life is led and guided by you and I respond to you. Holy Spirit, be with us right now as we respond. In Jesus' name. <laughs>